Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. All right, it's time for another edition of the MMA Outsiders. We had a lot of action this past weekend at UFC Austin. We got a lot of action coming up. And we're finally here. It's December. It's time for a lot of the end of the year madness that awaits us. And I can't wait. We got two UFC cards to go. We got a couple more big boxing cards to go. It's uh, it's going to be a fun, thrilling ride as we're on the downward trend right now. We are... About to pull into the station for the end of 2023, the start of 2024. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you could make an analogy to that. We're about to pull into the, uh, we're about to pull into MMA's version of the North Pole, if you will. We're we're getting we're getting we're getting close. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get to the holidays, obviously we got a lot of action still left to go. We'll discuss UFC Austin today. We'll discuss. Uh, Dana White's comments about the PFL Bellator deal. We'll talk some boxing, including a super lightweight title fight coming up between Devin Haney and Regis Grace. Devin Haney's return, his first fight since uh, since the controversial win over Vasily Lomachenko. We got a UFC Vegas card, our last Apex card of the year, Zan. Oh, no. We got to wait several weeks before we get back to the Apex. Oh, and then we got the yeah. PFL uh, then we got the PFL European Championships. Lasen Kieta, our old friend, we're gonna be we're gonna be discussing about his, his return to the cage. A lot to get into. Before we do, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Make sure to follow us across social media on Facebook, Instagram, and the former Twitter now X at MMA Outsiders ETB. You can follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Instagram, X. And TikTok at ETB Network. To my right is Zambando, as always, my beloved co host. You can staff writer at BJPen.com, MMA Knockout. Uh, you can find his wor- work on social media. You can follow him at Zambando99. And I'm Tom Albano, a contributor to MMA News, contributor to Fan Sided MMA, and contributor to the PFL. And I will be busy with the PFL website this weekend as we. Close out 2023 with the European Championships. You can follow me on social media at Thomas J. Aldano. All right, Zan. Let's just get right into it. UFC Austin. Zan, I know we had a conversation, at least I had a conversation with some others about, you know, hey, you know, we, we're going to start doing some of our end of the year awards early, like starting to plan out, you know, what all the media outlets, I should say, starting to plan out, you know, what award is going to go to who. And I have mentioned that at least to one party that it's kind of dangerous to do that at the start of December. It's understandable to kind of get your, you know, stuff in order, but considering, you know, we still had plenty of action left to go and well, UFC Austin kind of proved why sometimes you really have to wait for certain things to play out in December. I mean, we've seen, December come up with some great moments that kind of put a halt, kind of put a change in plans for end of the year awards. You think back to Cub Swanson versus Duo Troy in uh, 2016. 
You think of Francis Ngannou's knockout of Alistair Overeem in 2017, which, Zan, you were there for at the Little Caesars Arena that, that December 2017 night. I sure was, and for those who, who don't remember, that was a huge coming out party for Francis Ngannou, and that was one of those knockouts. Whether you were live in the arena or you were at home watching on TV, um, you all thought the same thing, that that might be the scariest dude on the planet, and look at you know, who Francis Ngannou has become and what a big, not just combat sports star he's become, but what a big global superstar he's become. And uh, I've seen and a lot I'm, of crazy knockouts in person. I don't think I've seen one as devastating and as shocking as that one. That's one that's ingrained in my memory uh, or will be ingrained in my memory for as long as I live. One of the most impressive and just just stunning finishes you'll ever see, especially beating a legend like Overeem in that fashion, uh, you know, a version of Overeem that was still one of the best heavyweights in the world at the time. And yeah, as you alluded to, usually every year, December brings you some moments you least expect and uh, to kind of transition into the UFC fight night card that was this past weekend from the Moody Center. I think it had all that and more, including a massive upset in the main event. Um, I don't think anybody called this. I said Tarzukian would win this fight a week ago and I was, and I was correct. Unfortunately for me, I went five and seven on the night. It was one of my rougher um, prediction sprees for a UFC event. It was pretty disappointing to watch how many predictions I got wrong on this card just because sometimes the unpredictability of MMA is what it is. But I did not get this one wrong. Armand Tarzukian, 64 seconds, knocking out Benil Dariushin, what is now back-to-back losses for Dariushin. Honestly, a dominant win for Tarzukian and a win that he absolutely needed to to catapult himself and to being a top contender in a very stacked uh, lightweight division. And you know, one of those wins where um, where you, you'll never you'll never forget it. Similar to you know what I just alluded to. I mean, the way he finished Darius is only something that, from my recollection, Charles Oliveira has ever done to him. And I just want to know from your perspective. You know, well, we've watched Tarzukian for a long time. He's been in some wars. He's been in some controversial decisions. But you've never seen at least so far in his UFC career, at least for me, I've never seen Tarzuki and look at that impressive, even though it took a little over a minute to do so. What did you think of the fight? And did you think that in any sort of way, Dariush was caught off guard? Because to me, it it, it, it it seemed like it. I mean, who wasn't caught off guard, Sam? Who wasn't caught off guard by Armin Saruki and the kind of performance that you had? I, as you kind of said, I don't think, you know, we both called that Sarukian was going to win this fight. I don't think we had we had it that it was going to be in 64 seconds. I don't think we had it that it was going to be a knee followed by a right hand that drops Darius out cold. Not, none of us. I don't think anybody here had the expectation it was going to be that quick, that emphatic. And for Sarukian, it's a fantastic win. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's back-to-back losses for Darius now. And he will have to rebound at some, have to have a rebound win at some point. But it's Charles Oliveira and now Armin Sarukian who is going to be jumping into the top five with a win like this. So those aren't bad losses for Dariush. You're just going to have to, you know, it's going to have to be back to the drawing board in 2024 with him. But for Sarukian, I mean, it's a world of possibility now. And Dana even mentioned at the post fight press conference, Dan, that he thinks that the plans, the expectation of Makashev versus Oliveira 2 might have been shaken up by the way 
see that Sarukian dominated this fight. Yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree there. I think he need, I think he needs one more fight against a former champion or a former title challenger to to stake his case. It's no disrespect to Benil Dariush, but Benil Dariush, eh, as I alluded to, lost to Charles Oliveira and beat an aging Tony Ferguson. So to me, I don't think you should be calling for a title shot for Armand yet, but definitely if he wins one more fight, I think you could definitely see him jump right into that number one contender spot in 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 it's late 2024, but calling for a title shot now to me is just a little bit too early. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like Armin Saruki and you, you said it best one more fight because as you kind of mentioned, he still, he needs that one win. He needs one win over one of these top five talents, you know, win over a Chandler, a Gagey, a Poirier. He, he needs a win over them. And then I think you can do this fight. And even if you think Sarukian is ready now, I don't think that's necessarily fair to Charles Oliveira, who has definitely earned a rematch for, with Islam Makhachev for the lightweight title that he technically never lost. You know, in the cage, he lost it on the scales. Obviously, uh, Islam beat him in the cage for a vacant title, but I, I just, I just feel like you got to give Oliveira the, you got to give Oliveira his fair shot at a rematch. Yeah, I think the most logical step up for Tarzukian next is Dustin Poirier. Uh, if, uh, that's it. That's at least what I would do next because Dustin Poirier has been in big fights before, and for Tarzukian, this would that would be the biggest name he's ever fought. For Benil Dariush at the moment, uh, given the landscape of the division, I don't entirely know. I think you have to see some of these fights play out in the top six before you can really start to talk about what a what a return fight for Dariush could look like and what will be, no matter who he fights, an absolute must win given that uh, he, he has not had a very successful 2023 and could not bounce back um, after losing to a former champion in Oliveira that, that, that rightfully so deserves a rematch and is just kind of waiting on it at this point. So definitely a very interesting win for Tarzuki and definitely a major, major uh, shakeup in what is arguably the most exciting division in the sport. So congratulations to Tarsukian and Verderi, who she really needs to go back to the drawing board, figure out what went wrong and uh, see see what's next. For sure. And then we go into the co-main event. Zan, there was a big lightweight fight in the co-main event, still within the top 15 towards the bottom end of it, in which Jalen Turner, brutal finish of Bobby Green. Obviously, there was a lot of hype train going on with Bobby Green, but Turner had some hype in himself and now I'd say Jalen Turner could probably find his way into the top 10 by the time this episode goes up if not just outside of it going to be fighting a top 10 fighter next but I feel like the bigger story here is Kerry Hatley because it was it and I have nothing personal against Kerry Hatley but this was just a really really bad really late stoppage I think it was stopped like 10 or 15 seconds after it should have been. I think he took like 10 or so more punches than he should have been. You know, the Bobby Green just didn't deserve the kind of punishment, the additional punishment that he ate. It was unnecessary. Yeah, definitely brutal. And, um, you know, one of those stoppages where, one of those stoppages where I think, I think everyone had the same reaction. And um, I, I personally think, and I'm not trying to sympathize for him, but 
I just think it was one of those things where it was where, where it was a lack of awareness. I mean, and sometimes referees make mistakes and then they make excuses about it. You have not seen Kerry Hatley come out and defend the stoppage in any sort of way. Uh, Dana White even hinted at the post-fight press conference Saturday night uh, at the conclusion of the event that that Hatley did feel remorse and that if he were to do it all over again, he would have stopped the fight sooner. There's obviously no way to prove that if that that there's obviously no way to prove that that is 100% true. But I do think in some instances you'll see referees, you know, coming out and trying to justify their stoppages, i.e., Steve Mazzagati after Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir and Mario Amasaki after Valentina Shevchenko's brutal win against Priscilla Cashwera in 2017. You know, would see Kerry Hatley coming out and doing the equivalent of that. So I think in this instance, while the stoppage was bad, at least you can give Kerry Hatley a little bit of a break, given that he's definitely a veteran referee. He's been around the sport in the UFC for quite some time. I, I even think back in the early old uh, Zufa days, he used to have um, UFC fights before. So he's he's been in this position for a while, and I just think it's one of those fights where he probably regrets it. He probably wants to have it back, but you know, not to take anything away from the performance, this is the best I've ever seen Jalen Turner. And simply put, I, I just think Bobby Green got caught. That was going to turn into a very exciting fight uh, be, before the finish happened. And I think that if Bobby Green doesn't get caught and Green neutralizes his wrestling, kind of like what I said on the preview last week, you know, if he was able to utilize his wrestling, he would have won the fight. But you know, sometimes when you stand with someone for too long, you're going to get caught, and that's exactly what Turner did. So overall, very impressive performance for Turner, and this is just one of those fights for Bobby Green where he needs to go back to the drawing board. He needs to figure out um, what what went wrong. He's going to protect his chin a little bit more, and uh, once he does that, and I think he'll be back to his old self. He's one of the most exciting fighters in that division and still someone that I'm sure the UFC would love to keep around for as long as they can. Yeah, and I think to Jalen Turner, like you said, best performance he's had. I think, you know, I think back to the first time I was really paying attention to him to around the end of 2018, start of 2019. I was thinking, all right, you know, this could go either way. This could be a guy who just, you know, by the end of the year, probably gone from the UFC or somebody who starts to make a name for himself and he ends up being the latter. And now here he is about to enter 2024. And he's got to be fighting a top 10 fighter next at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You could, uh, you could put him on it. You could put him against the top 10 fighter. You could have him open a pay-per-view. You could have him have line of fight night. There's multiple different um, ways to use him, but definitely he's someone that's going to be in the top 10 in a major player at 155 as uh, 2024 gets underway in a couple of weeks. And, uh, someone to definitely keep an eye on as a future title uh, challenger. That's for sure. And then of course, right after, I mean, right before Jalen Turner and his finish, we had Davidson Figueredo, the former flyweight champ, making his, uh, making his bantamweight debut. Figueredo, obviously somebody else who isn't been known for, uh, you know, causing some little mayhem to the end of the year awards of a big win. And I mean, a big fight in December with he and Moreno in 2020, but now, his rivalry with Moreno over. He moves up to 135, takes on a really tough fighter in Rob Font. Excellent fight. Figueredo gets the decision win. And Zan, Figueredo's for real at 135. And you have to expect that maybe with one more win, he's going to be right up there. 
with the possibility of challenging O'Malley at some point in 24. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is definitely Davidson Figueredo's uh, permanent weight class, at least for the time being, and beating someone like Rob Font that's been in title contention for quite some time. He's kind of one of those fighters where, you know, he's in uh, he's in AAA and he's in the minors, but he, he just can't get – he just can't get to the big leagues. It seems like every single time Rob Font is put into a big fight or a big situation, he comes up a little bit short. And I thought that this was going to be the fight that he broke through. And I was clearly wrong about that. And uh, Figueredo obviously has championship experience with those words with Moreno, you know, where he was one of the most dominant flyweights in the world just a couple of years ago. And it goes to show that, you know, former championship experience, regardless of weight class, his experience to Figueredo showed that. And yeah, could he have done it a little bit better? Could he have not, you know, kept it a close fight through two rounds with Fon? Sure, but a win is a win. He still is a former champion. He's still in that mix. And, you know, Bantamweight needing fresh faces, um, just given the fact that, you know, there was that whole carousel with Sterling and Yon a couple years ago. I think this was a nice shakeup to the division and a very solid win against a, against a tough guy that, you know, brings, you know, a a pedigree, obviously, out of a great camp in the New England cartel, and he just has, you know, a dominant boxing base, and it seems like, you know, Figueredo was able to exploit all of that. So uh, it was definitely a good performance. As I said, could have been a little bit better, but definitely someone that will stick and, you know, be in the mix in that title picture as 2024 uh, moves on and as the impending um, Sean O'Malley-Cheeto Vera fight happens in a couple of months, I think it'll get a lot more clarity to 135, and we'll see uh, – as Dana White likes to say, where uh, where Figueredo fits into this whole uh, puzzle, if you will. For sure. Here's my question, Sam. Based on everything that was going on with Lightweight, based on everything that's going on with Figueredo, where does Kevin Lee fit into all of this? That's a good one. It's a good one. We needed <laughs> we needed at least we needed at least one of the was right to the where you go. Anybody anybody that was looking for your for your Kevin. Uh, we reference on this episode. You got it. So there, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Kevin Levy mentioned at the end of 2023. You're right. I mean, it was, it definitely could have been a better performance, but I feel like, like you said, Andrew, Rob Font is a very tough fighter. And we talked about it last week. You know, when these former champions, these stars of one division move up to another, Dana doesn't hold back. He will give somebody moving over to the, moving into another division, a tough fight, a tough challenge to see if they can hang. And well, Figueroa can definitely hang. And like you said, we'll see what else happens with the rest of the bandweight division. Like you mentioned, probably not going to get too much clarity on this until after UFC 299 in March when O'Malley and Cheeto Vera had their rematch for the bandweight title. Dan, I would be remiss, though, if we did not make mention of the history that happened at UFC Austin. This was definitely, Zan, a card of the year contender. This is as close. UFC Austin, the last fight night that well at least the last fight night that took place in the city the last espn television card for 2023 i think has to be up there with 290 291 292 the, the big summer that the ufc had as the potential card of your contender between those performances some other performances you know misha tate closing out the prelims with a big win uh and eight performance of the night bonuses handed out by dana white plus a fight of the night so 10 Bonuses handed out five hundred thousand dollars in bonus cash handed out in this card, including Dracar Close, Cody Brundage during the preliminary card, 
both winning their fights with first-round slam knockouts, both countering submissions, one countering a triangle choke, the other countering, uh, I think it was a triangle armbar, and slamming their opponents on their heads, knocking them out cold. Never, uh, this is the, it was the 13th and 14th slam knockout in UFC history. Obviously, we, ha- we have seen the little history of slam knockouts in the octagon. You think of Matt Hughes' knockout, the controversial knockout of Carlos Newton. You think of Evan Tanner getting slammed into unconsciousness by Tito Ortiz. Uh, you think of Rose Namajunas getting slammed, getting basically pile-driven on her head in her fight with Jessica Andrade, in which Andrade won the throwaway title. But now here, 13-14 not, uh, slam knockouts in UFC history. Never before have there been two slam KOs on the same card, let alone just the fact that they were back-to-back fights. It's it's unbelievable that this just goes to show you how awesome of a card UFC Austin was. Yeah, I mean, back-to-back slam knockouts for sure. And uh, you could argue that um, once the Jakarta close win happened, you said th- th- there's nothing that could top the, the close slam knockout. And then, of course, you have rundages. I think both of them were just as nasty, or if not rundages being a little bit nastier than closes. But I think it's one of those things where you never know, you know, you know, it just goes to show you those literal two examples. You do not have a submission until you actually have one. And in the, these two instances, um, you know, well, both guys were able to get out of the submission and then some, they won the fight off it. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that the unpredictability of this sport is insane. This is why, you know, for, for the people who go to events, this is why for the, for the Twitter crowd, for those of you who know MMA Twitter well enough, they say, where's my prelim gang at? Well, well, this is this is partially the reason because you don't know what's going to happen in literally every single fight. And in these two instances, you get two of the most shocking results to two fights that people have seen all year, you know, from guys that, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not a knock on either of them, but, you know, these are coming from two guys who, you know, have slowly but surely and continue to work their way up and have not, you know, really reached a casual audience base yet. I think these two performances definitely did that in a whole lot more considering their uh, their viral ability. And, uh, and I think that next year, if both of these two stay on the trajectory that, that, uh, that they're on, I think some heads are going to turn. And definitely the, the Austin crowd was treated to two of the best finishes, I'm sure, that people in that arena have ever seen. What I don't want just two of the best finishes um, in, in in the history of the sport, on uh, not just twenty twenty three, because you think I know where I'm going with this. I think I think these two finishes are are two of the most viral finishes we've seen this year, if not if, if not if not the if not the nastiest. So you got to give a shout out to both of them, and uh, this is this is why again you never know you never know if you have a submission until you have it, and uh, these two certainly proved. Just that and a whole lot more, and definitely two massive wins for both of them. And it definitely proves why, you know, you never know with some of these cards because you could have written. I thought UFC Austin was an excellent like fight night going into. It. I thought it had some decent hype and such, but I know some who will only you know tune into the UFC pay per views. But this is why you just you never know with the sport. This was an absolutely fantastic card, and shout out to the UFC for a fantastic. As I said, final UFC on ESPN pay-per-view. I mean, UFC on ESPN television card for 2023. Obviously, this coming weekend, Vegas 83 is going to be the last ESPN Plus exclusive. 
next week with UFC 296. It's the last pay-per-view card and the last UFC card of 2023. So we'll discuss all of that and more. We'll discuss Vegas 83's main event a little later. But, Zan, I want to also bring your attention to something that happened at the post-fight press conference. So one of the reporters asked Dana his thoughts, his honest thoughts about the PFL Bellator merger. And this is literally his full quote here. One bleepy organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches buys another bleepy organization that sells no tickets and nobody watches. And he was being very sarcastic in his remarks, saying, oh, good job. You know, this sounds like a real winner to me. What are your thoughts on Dana's sarcasm? Well, before I even get into that, one thing we forgot to mention in the last segment of the Amazement of the Slams is that, Tom, I don't know if you realize this, this was the highest grossing U.S. fight night card in the history of the UFC. If you who would have told me a few months ago that the Moody Center of all places, the home of the Texas Longhorns, would have the biggest gate in the history of UFC fight nights, which I didn't even really know was a category that the UFC considered, I, I would have... And I would have been very perplexed, not to mention the gate was $2.4 million, which is unbelievable to me. So overall, the success of UFC Austin is going to be lived for years to come. But back to uh, back to the situation in the end. Yeah, there you go. I mean, all the all, all the money that's going to get made from that is absurd. Anyway, back to the quote at hand here. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but... Uh... Just, you know, just thinking about it. I mean, yeah, you're right. You would expect it to be the Moody Center, but you know what? Everything's bigger in Texas. Especially those Cowboys. Jerry, what are you doing here? That's a good one. Uh, That's a good one. Uh, Well, you would think, given that it was Texas, that we'd have some really bad judging. And and, and, and unfortunately, we we avoided that. We avoided at this time. You know, know, there's some cities and states that, you know, you're kind of wary of. And it comes to judges' scorecards, but this one actually wasn't bad. Oh, it, it, it was quite—it was quite a surprise. Anyway, back to the quote at hand here. Um, just want to give a shout out to this reporter. Um, no one's been able to figure out what his name is yet. He asked like five good questions of Dana at the press conference, and they were all on like a three to four minute um, exchange. And I think it really got Dana riled up. But this first one we got him riled up. This, this isn't a surprise. I think Dana knows that that Don Davis is on his tail. And I think that Dana knows that Don Davis is starting to talk. And Don Davis is starting to say that they have the roster equal to the UFC. And this is Dana's way of firing back and trying to defend his promotion instead of giving credit where credit is due. Although although he did at the very beginning, this is the part of the quote that mm-hmm. we left out. Because, because initially, um, he, you know, he just said best of luck to him and whatever. But then he goes, then he goes into this. All I gotta say is this is this is not a surprise. It's obvious that he's somewhat nervous that the PFL can sort of put a leverage point on the UFC to where they're gonna have to compete against one another. Or maybe he doesn't think that, but from the way he was chagrinning and the way he was just grilling this reporter with this reply makes me believe that he was infuriated that even that even a question remotely as important as two of the two of the biggest MMA promotions below the UFC um, being acquired was 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 going to be a question. I'm 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 surprised to to be quite frank that, that this wasn't going to be asked of him. So I I think that 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 in this sense I I do think he he handled it in a bit of an unprofessional way and he. 
hit it back on trying to say how great the UFC was instead of just simply acknowledging, oh, you know, oh, this is, you know, oh, this is good. I like, I, I like competition. Let's see, let's see what we can do. And he, then he proceeds to trash on them. And then he proceeds to not even address the fact whether or not Michael Venom Page is signed to the UFC or it isn't. There was a week that, you know, Michael Venom Page may be fighting in the UFC according to shots in the war room during the full send podcast and stuff. So um, I don't oh no, I don't know what to think of it. All I know is that this is just Dana being Dana, and that's really that's really it. So Yeah, you're pretty much right there. It really is Dana being Dana. I'm not surprised he has a response like this. I mean, listen, is the UFC the number one promotion undisputed in the world? Yes. I mean, PFL still has more to prove. Bellator, obviously, is now under PFL rules, so PFL slips into the number two slot. Uh, one championship one championship barely did any MMA this year, to the point where, I'm not going to name names, but I know of at least one media outlet, and that basically is not going to put any one fights on its end-of-the-year awards because they just focused so much more on Muay Thai and kickboxing this year. They were barely a one, I mean, they were barely an MMA organization. Also considering, Zan, uh, Mike's comments from last week uh, to Ariel Halwani, where he kind of implied that there's a chance by twenty, the end of 24, maybe into 25, one championship could be on some financial straits after, you know, not getting their money's worth for the free agency uh, spending that they did at the end of the 20 teens. So this is good. so obviously UFC is at this point number one in the world. But you're right. I wish he could have given a little more credit where it's due. I did like, by the way, you mentioned Don Davis. You sent this to me from his uh, Twitter, the little response that he had about first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. The Gandhi quote. I thought that was fantastic. I think we're going to see a lot of good verbal sparring over the next year plus with Dana and with Don Davis. That should be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, and then you also consider, you know, like you said, it's two the two promotions under the UFC merging into one. Obviously, Dana was harping about, you know, TV, the ticket sales. And yeah, there is some more that needs to be done there. Some people want production and rule sets for PFL to change. But here's my thing, Zan. I I find it kind of, I don't want to say brazen. I, I mean, maybe brazen's right. Or I don't know. But I just find it kind of funny. Dan is saying this. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have to be worried about PFL and Bellator merging. But you know what he does have to worry about, Zan? That antitrust lawsuit that's now pretty much, that's been certified and is going to be going into trial in 24. Well, yeah, he has to worry about that, number one. And he has to also worry about what he can and can't say. Because is whatever he says that is technically in the law suit could be used against him. So he has to choose his words carefully, so to speak. And that's probably something that's easier said than done. And I'm sure that that's one of those responses that um, this is just a theory. I don't know this for a fact, but someone, someone, someone probably told him to say a version of this so that the UFC wouldn't even get more uh, pushback. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, and really, the, the 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 whole thing about this that that's kind of interesting is, to be quite honest with you, if I'm him, I don't even know why I would even comment on this, considering that you know the, 
he already had in shoulders above both of those organizations combined. And if he and if he really thinks that he has a better roster than the PFL, he would have just admitted it. He would have just admitted that at the press conference instead of trying to crap all over them. But toodaloo to him, I guess, and he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. And what, what what I think is going to be interesting next year, though, and something that I think people are people are not people are not anticipating, but I am. I think one way or another, Don Davis is going to force the UFC to cave in. I think there is going to be a cross-promotional show at some point in the next two years. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be. But something tells me that Don Davis is going to pull as many strings as he possibly can to try to gain leverage and see if he can put his BFL fighters up against um, his UFC fighters. And I'm going to proclaim that at least in two years, we, we we are going to know who is the better roster, the PFL or the UFC, and then uh, then people can start uh, debating until the, till the end of time. But I think that this word of verbal words on social media is far from over, and as you alluded to, it's definitely getting more fun uh, by the day for sure. I don't know, Zan, if Dana would be willing to do such a thing. I mean, you know, he was very, you know, he did it with pride when Chuck Liddell went over to pride for the total elimination 2003 in the middleweight uh, tournament, Grand Prix tournament where Chuck Liddell lost to uh, Rampage Jackson. He, and then he didn't want to do anything like that again. Then Connor does the whole crossover fight with Floyd. I, I just don't know. Don Davis is going to have to really get under Dana's skin for him to do something like that. I, I really think that he's going to have to do something, uh, something extreme. Oh, I think I, I think so too. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of who, what, and when. And that's gonna be that's gonna be what's anticipated. And also it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, if the UFC, like I alluded to, is gonna try to block the PFL from doing anything special in regards to its ESPN deal. But something tells me since they just re-signed that might carry yeah, on that. Re-signed, they just resigned, so you know, not gonna be too worried about that. I will be interested in seeing what they're going to do with Bellator, because as you kind of alluded to, if I'm a TV exec Zan at any of these cable stations, I don't know if I'm picking up Bellator, if it might be better to just let ESPN and ESPN plus do that. I don't know if UFC is going to invoke anything, but like I said, I think these circumstances are even more special when you consider the antitrust lawsuit that's going on. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I think, how this I, think you, I think you could see Bellator on two different platforms. You could either see it on ESPN plus or you could see it on Amazon Prime, but outside of outside of those two, um, I don't see it being on ESPN linear unless the card is unless the card is big enough to stack it, and then people will care. But it seems to me with the way they want to run Bellator, with it being solely international, I think it'll be more so a, a streaming based promotion from here on out. But I could be wrong. I mean, I did mention that last week about it. I mean a couple of weeks ago about it potentially being ESPN plus exclusive. Although we said, you know, when the UFC has the summer cards, maybe ESPN two can start to can air a Bellator card or whatnot. I think, like you said, it's going to be really interesting as we continue to go forward with all this. Zan, let's move over to the boxing front for a second. I, I, and then also considering what could be with one with uh, Amazon prime, considering they already have one championship. But like we said, we don't know what the future of one holds. So, It'll be interesting to see all that on the MMA front. But, Sam, moving over to boxing right now, 
Uh, WBC, WBC president Mauricio Suleiman told the media earlier this week that obviously we got the Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder both fighting uh, in at, on December 23rd. Anthony Joshua taking on Otto Wallen. Deontay Wilder taking on Joseph Parker in a battle of former heavyweight champions. And Mauricio Suleiman has kind of given the, the indication, as have others, about if Joshua and Wilder win, they could potentially meet up in 2024. About seven years, a little too late. But the idea is that if that fight goes down, whoever wins that fight could be made a WBC mandatory to the winner of the undisputed title fight on February 17th between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. And we already talked about Zan earlier, about a month or two ago, uh, about the IBF basically saying that it wasn't going to accept a rematch between Fury and Usyk and that if they didn't go after the IBF mandatory uh, and they pursued the immediate rematch and said that they would be stripped of the IBF title. So Zan, all I'm going to say for this one is this. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that, but you could also say that there's a worst case scenario where, where the fight gets made, one guy gets hurt and then it screws up the entire plan. So therefore to me, it's like, Okay, Suleiman, if you really want to make the fight, just make the fight and don't put any extra caveats on it because could you imagine how tragic it would be if the winner of this fight was scheduled to fight Fury and then the fight never happened? The, the, only, the, the, the only people you could blame are the WBC themselves. And, or, and to be quite honest with you, they're the ones holding it up, not, not, not either for these guys. The, the, these guys want to fight. It's just a matter of where and when to add all these extra caveats is why, you know, people in the boxing space are just getting sick and tired of just the theatrics. And I think this is just another one of these instances where they're just trying to suck as much money as they can out of it. And, uh, and, and, and the way the fight even longer, because I don't, I think we're going to be in a situation where it's the middle of 2024 and this, in this exact fight that's on the screen right now will still not have happened. And we still won't know when it will happen or even if it will happen. So, right. We haven't me, seen I, it. We, we should have seen it seven years ago and we never got it. We should have seen it six years ago and never got it. And then I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, I all due respect to Deontay Wilder. I enjoy him. I enjoy his knockouts. Fury beat him twice. And someone could, some could arguably say the third time with the uh, first fight. I don't know if I could agree with that, but Fury basically won the rivalry. I don't know if I have any interest and we haven't seen Wilder do much since. I don't really have any interest in seeing a four fight between Fury and Wilder. Now, obviously, if Usyk wins, that changes things. But if Fury beats Usyk and this fight somehow happens at 24 and Wilder wins it, I don't really have, you know, I'll watch it, but I don't really have as much of a vested interest in that fight. No, neither neither do I. But what would make a good case is if Usyk beats Fury and then it pushes up the whole division. Then you have so many... Then you have so many new fights you could potentially make. But if Fury wins, then you're then then you're back to the same old story all over. Actually, again. actually, Zan, I could say the same thing with in, in the case of Usyk with Joshua. If Usyk beats Fury and Joshua wins, I don't want to see Usyk Joshua three. Usyk beat him twice. Mm-hmm. So you're you're risking you're risking a matchup that's old and just trying to make another fight when. One fighter has clearly been better than the other. So, I mean, we'll see how this plays out. Like, you, like, kind of like what you said. Let's see if Joshua versus Wilder actually happens in 24. Let's see if both of them get right. through their fight on December 23rd. 
Because right now, if there were if there were betting odds for yes or no, I would bet no at plus six fifty or would or would or would be not only not only would I bet no, I would bet I would bet it twice. That's how that's how confident that's so that's so confident I am that it won't that it won't happen. Uh, this is a story that came up last week, Zan, that we didn't really get time to talk about. The PBC, so obviously they need a new home now that Showtime is wrapping up with the. Uh, it's combat sports events. I think it's got one more Showtime boxing card this month, and then that's it. And uh, I don't know if it's been finalized yet, but I know at least it's in the process of being finalized. You mentioned Amazon Prime before, and it seems like PBC is heading over there. Yeah, I mean, this is the only real, real logical spot that PBC could go, considering that Matchroom is on the zone, and considering that ESPN now has top rank. So this is definitely a good spot for the PBC. It'll be interesting to see what fights they make. It'll be interesting to see if this is a, you know, you have Amazon Prime and you get the PBC, or is it you have Amazon Prime and you got to buy certain PBC cards based on who is competing. It'll be interesting to see how the deal is structured. But given Amazon Prime and the way they do business now, and given that all you have to be is an Amazon Prime subscriber to watch the NFL, there would be no reason to believe why boxing would be any different. So overall, this is a great business decision for the PPC. They're strictly streaming now, and it caters to uh, the younger generation like myself that streams everything. So now it'll be easier to even find the PPC, and I'm interested to see what fights they put on, and uh, that leads me to even be more excited for the return of uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. as he's one of my favorite fighters out of that promotion as well. So it'll be nice to see the PPC back on its regular schedule, and it'll be nice to see it be easily accessible. What do you What do you think of it? I mean, stinks for the older people who don't know how to do much streaming. I mean, Zan, at this point, and we've talked about the streaming is just, it's the future of broadcasting at this point. So not really surprised PBC is going over to Amazon Prime. And like you said, a bunch of the streaming platforms now have their own boxing. The Zone has uh, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. Uh, ESPN has Top Rank. PBC and Amazon Prime now has the PBC. So not surprised with the move. I'm just, I just hope, you know, they don't go to the zone in the ESPN Plus model and they do the pay-per-view format. I fear that that's what they're eventually going to do, that the bigger cards will be pay-per-view. But like you kind of said, considering the NFL is on Amazon Prime and you don't have to pay extra for that, I'm hoping that Amazon Prime doesn't do that as a means of trying to get, you know, more customers and more eyeballs on the, on the PVC product. Me too, and I also hope that Amazon Prime does a good job of promoting the PBC in similar ways to which they promote the NFL, which something which something tells me they will. So, yeah, I, that's that's my hope as well. All right, let's get into the boxing and uh, uh, just the fights in general that's going to happen this weekend. We got four. We got th- four things to talk about. Let's talk about some of the three bigger cards, and then. Somebody that we know who's fighting this weekend. So all the main events. Let's start, Zan, with boxing. The WBC Super Lightweight title is on the line. You got Devin Haney moving up to uh, 140 to challenge Regis Progress for his title. Haney vacating all of his lightweight championships. And it seems like, Zan, at least to me, he has no more of an interest in competing at 135. This is a one a move to 140 that I guess is going to be for good. Yeah, it's 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 going to be for good, and and obviously Regis Progay is no easy task. But 
Something tells me that Devin Haney wants to put in a massive improvement considering that he nearly lost to Vasily Lomachenko and considering that this fight is in San Francisco, Haney trains out of Vegas. I think that the home, the mini home close, home slash close crowd advantage is going to, is going to benefit him. And I think he's just going to go out and do his thing and be the Devin Haney that people know, that people know him as. I mean, he's a, Super quick power puncher. He is nasty right hand. I think the longer the fight goes, the longer it favors Haney. The 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 earlier or the or the or the shorter the fight is, the I think it favors Pro Gay. Very similar to what my opinion would have been had we covered Garcia versus Duarte. I could see this fight being awfully similar to that fight that took place this past week in Houston, Texas, and overall. Oh, I just think Devin Haney's the better boxer. Regis Progray is, has a good resume, but if you look at the names that Haney is walking compared to Progay, uh, I don't, don't think their resumes compare. So based on that, uh, give me Haney to win in round seven by TKO, but I think that Progay uh, gives Haney a good fight, tries to get him in deep water, but I just think he gets tired and he eventually gets finished. And overall, I think Haney's got his, you know, sights set on bigger fights, you know, Ryan Garcia is hinting that he might want him in the future. Uh, Raleigh Romero is still out there in that division. He would probably like a super fight with Gervonta Tank Davis at some point. I think think Devin Haney really wants to be the best lightweight fighter in the world. And, you know, one of his dreams is moving up to 147 eventually. And I think this is his path to doing so. And I think Pro Gay is just the next, just the next victim on that list. So give me, uh, give me Haney to win in seven. And, uh, Get another dominant performance before he begins this really this next chapter of his career, which I think is going to be um, what is going to be how he's defined as a boxer by the time he retires in the next ten to fifteen years or so. So give me give me Haney. Yeah, I agree. I think that Haney's got all the skills. I think Regis Burgrave is going to be a tough fight, but as you mentioned, I think when it comes to the speed battle, I pick Haney. When it comes to the power battle. I pick Haney when it goes to who I think is the better overall overall all around Foxer. Foxer, I pick Haney. I at this point, Zan, as you mentioned, Devin Haney is one of the faces of boxing at this point. And obviously he's coming off of that really controversial win over Vasily Lomachenko. But I think that Devin Haney, you know, he's earned his keep. He's definitely one of the best in this sport. Uh give me him to win in seven or eight rounds with a finish, with a knockout. And I I do think, you know, does it think that he's leaving lightweight? Yeah, because, you know, there are some other fights that I, I have that my eye on with him. Well, duh, I mean, the, the, super I, lightweight. I, I mean, I mean, duh, the biggest one being the Lomachenko rematch, considering that there were still so many unanswered questions, considering how the decision was. And now we might never we might never see it. You're right. You're you're absolutely right. And it stinks we might not get to see Haney Lomachenko too. But Zan, you mentioned welterweight and I, potentially 147. I'm just thinking to myself. I was thinking to myself I was afraid to say it, but now that you said it, I would love to see what could happen if Devin Haney went up to 147. The matchup with the superstars there, because welterweight is star-filled. That would be amazing. Yeah, give it three years, and I really do think, given this new age of streaming that we're talking about, you could see all three streaming giants, Amazon Prime, ESPN, and DAZN, all come together to do a mega supercard where it's just the best at 
147 competing against each other on one night. It would be the biggest boxing spectacle since the days of Mike Tyson. So I like where I like where your head's going, but I would I would say give it a couple of years, and that might be that might be that might be a possibility. Love it. On the UFC side of things, one last time this year, Zan. Apex, Apex. This card was supposed to be. This card was supposed to be uh, in China, but it was moved about a month ago to the Apex. Your main event, Song Yadong, taking on Chris Gutierrez. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a high action paced fight um, at Bantamweight. These two are obviously super, super exciting contenders, but I just think that Song Yudong is on a different level. His last couple of fights have been the best. I've ever seen him, and although Chris Gutierrez is a rising prospect that has a few really nice wins on his resume, he's never fought anybody like Yudong. He's never fought someone with the wrestling that Yudong has. He's never fought someone with the Muay Thai that Yudong has, and he's never fought someone with the gas tank that Yudong has. For So for all those three reasons, uh, give me Yudong with a fourth-round stoppage, but uh, I do think that Gutierrez will give Yudong the toughest fight that, that Yudong has ever had. So have this be a fight of the night contender and have this be just an absolute all word. But I think Yudong is simply just a little bit better and is more to prove and wants a title shot in 2024, either mid to late next year. And this is just another one of those fights on his journey to it. So uh, give me Yudong via fourth round TKO and an action pack barn burner. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think Yadong. I think Gutierrez is going to give him a fight. I think the Gutierrez and Yadong are going to have basically a high octane, back and forth, action filled, you know, all out combat kind of fight, back and forth with the striking. But as you mentioned, I think Yadong has him in the striking department. He has more experience. I think this is a little too much too soon for Gutierrez. I think he'll go to distance. I think he's tough enough for that. But I think this is going to be a clear decision win for Song Yadong. Well said, and do you think that a win like this could propel Yudong where if he wins two more fights, he's in a title conversation? Or do you think, in your opinion, um, he's already he's already there and this is going to be the win that propels him um, to that opportunity, either as a short-notice pullout or something like that? What do you think? I mean, Seong Yudong, as of the time we're recording this, Dan, is ranked number seven in the UFC rankings and Marlon Chita Vera is ranked number six. And we're talking about him getting the title shot because of the history between him and O'Malley. If you don't wins this fight, Stan, I think you gotta, obviously I don't think this is going to be the fight that does it for him, but you got to give him a top five guy. So if the song, you wins this fight, I'd like to see what he can do against Peter young against Henry Cejudo against the uh, Aljo or uh, Marab. I, I'd, be, I'd be very interested to see, as long as he wins this fight in pretty decisive fashion. It would just be so disrespectful on the UFC's part, in my opinion, given the dominance that Marab has had for the last few years, is if they make him fight Yudong, and if he loses, he never ends up getting a title shot. And I worry that given the way that Cheeto Vera and O'Malley was made, that we could very well be going down that path. But I could be thinking... Um, two steps ahead of myself, but I just worry given the way the UFC is in business the last few years that that could be the direction they're heading. What do you What do you think? It is a legitimate concern. I, but I, I especially considering that it seems like Dana 
has it out for Marab because Marab has said no to fighting Aljo because he and Aljo are good friends. That being said, you know, O'Malley kind of is the path that if O'Malley beats Vera and Marab wins another fight, uh, that obviously would open up the path that Marab could challenge O'Malley, which would be an interesting fight to see. Like you said, at this point, considering the UFC's history, it's a we're going to wait on bated breath to see what happens. For sure. Moving on right now over to the PFL. They got the European Championships. Unfortunately for US for US based uh for US based people, it's not going to be streamed in the United States. Everywhere else, however, you will get this card. I believe it's going to be broadcasted on the zone. The main event is going to be Nathan Kelly versus Demetrius Somaze, but you got four title fights. Uh you got four title fights to mark off the end of their, you know, regular season playoffs. The co-main event, the last title fight, is going to be for the Bantamweight title. Franz Malambo taking on Kershed Kakarov. Franz Malambo is the sparring partner of Conor McGregor on a seven-fight winning streak. He has experience in the PFL. Zan, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Combate, they did a one-night tournament in 2021, and Franz Malambo was the winner this. of that tournament. Franz mm-hmm. Malambo was the winner of that tournament. Uh, he has experience in Brave. He's the former Brave. Uh, I'm sorry. No, he's not a former Brave champ, but he did compete in Brave. He competed in Bellator. He competed in Bama. So he's been around a bit. 15 and 5, training out of SVG Ireland. And then he's taken on Kershed Kakarov, another guy who has Bellator experience. Uh, seven of his 11. So he's 11 and 1, fighting out of Germany. Seven of his 11 wins are by knockout. He's a former Bantamweight champion on the, on the uh, regional circuit. He's 2-0 in the PFL Europe right now. He's won both his fights against Mokhtar Benaki and Ali Talib. Uh, as far as Malambo goes, he's got back-to-back split decisions in his PFL uh, tournament fights, defeating Richard Haas, Mokhtar Benkaksi. Ben- uh, but yeah, given their experience, also Kakarov has fought with Brett Johns. He lost to Brett Johns, but he has fought with him. Brett Johns also competing on the, on the PFL Europe card. On Friday, December eighth, uh, look, I think Kakarov is a very dangerous fighter. Actually, trains out of Extreme Couture, so you got SBG versus Extreme Couture. Uh, high advantage goes to Malambo. Reach advantage goes to Malambo. I think Malambo is especially dangerous. Uh, I think they're both tough, so I think this one goes to a decision. I could see it being a split again, but I think it'll be competitive. But I will go towards Malambo. The Black Mamba taking the PFL Bantamweight title, Europe Bantamweight title, with a decision win. And I could very well see, potentially, depending on how things play out, maybe we'll see Malamba on the global scene in next year's uh, regular season for 2024. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, once 2024 hits, I think a lot of these prospects that you're, well, not not necessarily prospects, these guys are obviously fighting for a title, but a lot of these, you know, Lesser known, you know, European series champions. I think once that once the uh, the merger is settled and done with, I think a lot of these guys like Malambo and like Kakarov are going to be are going to be known to the general audience. So this could be almost like a prequel to what could be the preview or the flavor of what these European cards could look like. So it'll be interesting to see how this fight goes and how uh, and how Malambo performs specifically, just given his ties to Conor McGregor. So. Based on that, I'm going to take Malambo too, but I think he I think he finishes um, Kakarov. But again, I feel like this is one of those fights where 
it could it could go either way. Both of these guys have an outstanding pedigree. Um, obviously based on what you said, and and of course, you know, um, Mwambo's experience also plays a factor. So I'm actually going to go with Mwambo in the second round by TKO. But it's one of those fights again where um, you don't know until the fight happens, and uh, these two guys definitely have some contrasting styles to where. There's one guarantee, and that guarantee is that this fight will not be boring. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, none of these fights should be boring. If you get a chance to check out the PFL Europe card on Friday, it should be absolutely excellent. Uh, John Mitchell, Jacob Kasuba in another title fight. Brett Jaunt is competing. You got Nathan Kelly in the main event, and then you have Nate Kelly uh, earlier in the card on the amateur circuit, part of the uh, one of the earlier fights. The second Nate Kelly that I mentioned. Uh, earned a little notoriety several years ago telling Dana White at a press conference, I'm going to be an MMA fighter one day, uh, as he was showing all his support for his uh, country's own Conor McGregor. It's a pretty crazy story, and uh, that's what happens when you get on social media at a young age. Sometimes good things happen, and now uh, Nate Kelly is realizing that exact dream, so congratulations to him. And training at SBG Ireland, along with Franz Malambo, John Cavanaugh, and Conor McGregor. It's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And one last thing here, Zan. Shout out to Lysanketa. He's taking. He's returning at Octagon 50. Obviously, he got injured in his last fight. All that anticipation for that fight ends with an injury. But he's coming back. Vacant featherweight title on the line. He's going after it. He's taking on Nico Semenides. Yeah, obviously, as as you know, given my given my relationship with him, I'm very I'm very excited for this. This is just one of those fights where I'm going to be nervous because, as we alluded to, with this fight with Santa Kitsi, we were kind of going into it. We were kind of going into it thinking that the winner of that fight was going to uh, advance into their careers and potentially, you know, get signed to the UFC. That obviously didn't happen. So um, we're we're, we're going to see if Lucien Kiet is fully healthy, but um. Assuming he is, I think it should be an action-packed fight. Um, um, Samasai is not lost in about two years or so, so that's something to be wary of. He, you know, he's a he's won um he's won ten fights in his career so far. But to me, you know, based on the the brief research that I've done, I think the Kiage is Muay Thai is going to be too much, and I think he actually gets a third round finish and looks the best he's ever looked and shows whatever promotion wants him. Uh can have him. So I'm hoping he does well. I am picking him to win and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, it, I, I think if he's fully healthy, I think he's one of the best um, um, unsigned uh, prospects that we've seen in this division in quite some time. And I hope he proves at the Octagon 50, considering that Octagon has really built him up. I think he's a big star over there. And I think he's a starter that they like to take care of, and this is one of the showcase fights that he has to win. He's headlining the card, so uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Yeah, shout out to Lisan. You know, he's definitely given time to us at the, on the MMA Outsiders before. Good luck to him. Hoping that to see if he can, you know, hold up the featherweight championship at the end of Octagon Fifty, a big card for Octagon MMA this weekend. So a lot of big stuff going on this weekend, and then of course next week, San is going to be even more packed. Before we do, let's wrap things up here. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Network. Make sure to uh, follow us across social media, Facebook, X, Instagram, at MMA Outsiders ETV. Follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network, Facebook, X, Instagram, and TikTok at ETV Network. Once again, to my right, as always, 
You have Zam Bando, my love co-host as always. Follow his work over at BJPen.com and MMA Knockout. Follow him on social media at ZamBando99. I'm Tom Albano. You can find my work over at MMA News, Fanside MMA. I'll be on the call on the PFL website. You know, check out the results page, especially if you can't watch, you know, for all the latest from PFL Europe, uh, ch the championships card. And then you can find my work over at social media at Thomas J. Albano. Make sure to listen to us. Take MMA Outsiders on the road with you with ACAST and our other audio-only streaming platforms. If you are listening on those platforms, we thank you so much. And we encourage you to go to youtube.com slash network, uh, which is our YouTube home, our main home, our main base, if you will. Hit the subscribe button. We're climbing up towards 650 subscribers. We thank you all for your support. Make sure you go to etvpodcast.com for more information about the network, as well as, you know, uh, blogs from some of our contributors. Next week, Zan, second to last episode of the year. We got, we got a Jake Paul fight we got to discuss. We got UFC 296 to discuss. We'll discuss all the recaps from this weekend in combat. Should be a fun time. Be Joe Piper. Congratulations to Joe Piper, by the way, getting his first UFC main event come February. Huge, huge, huge congratulations, Tim, and thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the MMA Outsiders. We can uh, do this without any of you, so uh, stay tuned for more content on the way, and stay tuned for the impending UFC 296 preview that will be all the bells and whistles of next week's episode. So um, for Tom, I'm Sam. We'll see you all next week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we will see you soon.